So, uh, welcome to Fam Church. It's great to have everyone here this morning, um, and it's a great day, isn't it? It's not as cold as it was last Sunday, and I'm very thankful for that uh, because uh, anything below 60 degrees now is cold, and I don't like it. Um, but uh, Fam Church, we are here to connect people to Christ. We are so glad that you are with us this morning, and if, if you're in church for the first time, we're glad that you're here this morning. If you're here and you're saying to yourself, what on earth was I thinking in coming to church this morning? I don't know if I believe in any of this stuff. We just want to let you know we're glad that you're here, and if there's questions, if there's things, if there's, if there's stuff that we can help you work through and talk through, we are glad to help you do that. And we just want to be here for you as you work through those questions. And this morning, we're continuing our series called Dangerous Prayers. And uh, last week, if you were with us, we looked at our dangerous prayer and it was found in the book of Psalms. It was Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. And, uh, and what we saw uh, in this psalm was this was uh, a prayer prayed by David. Uh, the king of Israel. And at the time when he prayed the prayer, he was in a tough situation. He was in a difficult spot. He had, he, he had enemies from within coming against him. He had people saying stuff about him. He had people in his own government talking about him, trying to do things to discredit him and, and say bad things about who he was as a person and his character. And so, and so he was in this position where he was left with one of two decisions. He was going to either say, God, strike them down, or he was going to pray a different prayer. And what we found was he didn't pray, God, strike me down, but instead he prayed a different prayer. And his prayer was this. He asked God to search his heart. He asked God to uh, show him his anxious ways and his fears. He asked God to reveal his sin, and then he asked God to lead him. And what we saw last week was that if all of us will look at our lives and would pray that prayer, pray those four things, pray those four dangerous things in our lives, we would see God do something amazing and incredible in our lives. But we have to be willing to make that step because it is dangerous because when we ask God to reveal our sin, he's going to reveal sin to us. When we ask God to show us our hearts, he's going to show us our hearts. When we ask God to show us what we fear, he's going to show us those things. And so God is going to do that. And so it was dangerous because you and I have to be able to be willing to look on what's in here and change and do things different when God reveals sin and all of those things to us. And so that was last week's dangerous prayer. And uh, so let's move on to today's dangerous prayer. And today, of the three weeks of dangerous prayer, this one is probably going to be the hardest one for most people. This is going to be the one that's going to be most difficult and most challenging for people. And um, because it goes against the standard belief here in America that God wants to give us a good life. You know, we've got this idea that, that God is in the good life-making business, that he's in the American dream, that, that God's heart and passion is all about us living the American dream, having a nice home and taking vacations and, and having money and, and having all of this stuff. And, and this goes completely against that sort of thinking. This prayer does have the potential for God to work in such a way in your life that it'll forever change your life in amazing ways. And I know this phrase, changed my life, is thrown around a lot lately. People use it for anything. I'll go to somebody and they'll say they tried a new restaurant and I'll say, how was the restaurant? And they'll go, it changed my life. 
You know, I, I don't know if you guys have had those conversations. I've had that about shoes, about clothes, about music, about hats, about God, whatever. I mean, people, everything's changed in their life. And the reason they say that, though, is because it really didn't change their life, but it's just because they like it, right? You know, it's something that they like, and so they just say, it changed my life, but it really didn't change their life. But this prayer will literally change your life. And so I know you're saying, okay, stop. Just tell us what it is that will change our life. Well, uh, to find that, we are going to be in the book of Mark this morning. Um, and uh, Mark is in the New Testament. It's the second book of the New Testament. You've got Matthew, then you've got Mark. Um, we're going to be in Mark chapter 14, and we're going to be in two different places uh, in Mark. Um, and uh, if you have no idea where Mark is at, that's fine. We're going to have it on the screen behind me uh, for you to follow along. Uh, but the first thing we need to know about this book is that it was written by a guy named Mark. That just blew your minds, right? You're just like mind blown. You're, you're blown away by that revelation from the throne of God. Okay, but it, yeah, it's believed to have uh, been written by a guy who the Bible refers to as John Mark. And John Mark was a uh, guy who was not uh, with Jesus when he was alive on this earth. However, when Paul and then uh, later Peter started traveling the world and telling people about Jesus, uh, John Mark was a traveling companion of both of these guys. And you can find some of that story in the book of Acts, which is just a couple chapters ahead. If you read the whole thing, you'll see John Mark's name in there and him traveling with Paul and, and those sorts of things. But Here's the deal with, with John Mark, Mark, uh, is that he traveled, and what we believe is written down in this book of Mark is this, that he traveled extensively with Peter. And so he heard a lot of the stories that the disciple Peter told uh, when he preached around the world. And so uh, what Mark did was he wrote these things down for Peter and released it as this book called Mark. And so what we have here is kind of like the, Peter's synopsis, Peter's idea, Peter's stories of what happened when Jesus... Jesus was here and alive on this earth, and uh, that's this book. And the, the first spot that we're going to is an event that involves a prostitute. Um, so before uh, we go looking at this event, let's talk about prostitutes for a minute. That's what, not what you expected when you showed up at church this morning, right? Oh, maybe we'll talk about prostitutes, because I always look forward to that. Um, but no, what we got to know is that in the first century, prostitution was not a business like it is today, okay? You didn't have women that were the, uh, the uh, madam of Hollywood or the uh, madam of New York, and they were making millions of dollars a year uh, in, in the prostitution business, okay? It wasn't like that back in first century AD, okay? What it, what it was like was the people who got involved in prostitution were women who life had dealt them a really junky hand of cards, okay? It was generally women who had either their husband had died or their husband had left them. They had kids. They had no way to provide for their family. And so the only option they had was to go into prostitution. They were broken, desperate people. And uh, this is probably who this woman was in this story. They were hated they were despised and shamed, and the women themselves were full of shame. And this woman we're about to be introduced to had probably lived a very rough life. Um, she was not educated, um, and so that's why prostitution was the only job that she could find. But uh, she was hated by women, she was used by men, and her life was full of shame. But then one guy, one day a guy shows up and talks to her, and he's different. 
This guy treats her differently. It may have been the first time in her life that she had actually been treated with respect, with dignity, and with love by someone. This encounter so transformed her that she wanted to worship him in the most extravagant, sacrificial way she knew how. And her extravagant act of worship confuses everyone else that was there to witness this event. And so with that, we're going to read her story, Mark chapter 14. We're going to start in verses 1 through 9, and this is what it says. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priest and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or people may riot. While he was in Bethany reclining at a table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. All right, so this section starts out with these words, well, Jesus was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came. So the first thing that we need to take note of here is where Jesus is at. He's at the home of Simon the leper. These were people that nobody else associated with. A leper was not somebody the rest of society at that time was willing to associate with. They were afraid that if they spent too much time with this leper, that they were going to catch his disease. And yet here is Jesus hanging out at a party at her house. And in the middle of the party, in walks a prostitute. I mean, this almost sounds like the, uh, the start of a joke, doesn't it? You've got a rabbi, a leper, and a prostitute, and they walk into a party. I mean, really, it's, it's kind of like the start of, of a really bad joke. But here is Jesus and his disciples hanging out at this place, and, um, and, and she doesn't just wander in off the streets. There's a purpose for her being there. She's not there to drum up business. She has something in her hand. Mark tells us she came in with a very expensive perfume. All right, so let's talk about perfume now. The most expensive perfume in the world right now is and I might be saying it wrong, Clive Christian number one Imperial Majesty perfume. It sells for, are you ready for this? $12,721.89 per ounce. Per ounce. Only 10 bottles of it will ever produ- were ever produced. Well, the perfume that this lady has in Mark is even more expensive as it was valued at more than a year's worth of wages. So to kind of get the picture of what this means in, in our terms and in our money, uh, the average wage in the United States of America is $53,000. And that surprised me, and you learn very quickly how below average you are. Um, but in today's economy, this perfume would have sold for over $53,000. That's a whole lot of money for some perfume. And so why was it so valuable? Well, it was rare. And back then, 
women didn't wear perfume. How many ladies in the room put on perfume on occasion? Maybe even put it on this morning. Did anybody? All right. Did any man put on perfume this morning or maybe on any occasion? All right. Bobby's got some perfume on. All right. No. But here's the deal. It's, it's kind of common today, right? But back in those days, perfume was incredibly uncommon because it was incredibly expensive. And uh, so the deal was that people who wore perfume were trying to send a message. Ladies that wore perfume were trying to send a message, and it was one of two messages. It was either A, I'm incredibly wealthy and you're not, or B, I'm available, are you looking? Those were the only two messages that women tried to send with perfume. <laughs> so this lady, being a prostitute, carrying this perfume, it was her business card, okay? It was the card that she put out there. And the assumption would be made that the reason she was carrying it into a party was she was looking for business, right? I mean, she's going to a party. She's got her perfume. She's probably looking for some business, but that's not why she went and that's not what she did with it. Instead, Mark tells us that she broke the jar. Not only did she break the jar, but she poured it on Jesus' head. She broke it open and poured it out. Well, as she did this, some of the guests get pretty upset because that's a lot of money going on the floor and I can understand their anger because if I was in their spot, if I was in their position, I would have had the same response too. If I would have seen $53,000 being poured on somebody's head, I would have been like, are you crazy, woman? What are you doing? Can somebody get something to catch some of that dripping off of them? We can sell some of that anyways and make some money. I mean, I would have been in their spot because, hey, you could feed a lot of people, like Judas said, with that money. But see, this was an act of worship. It was an act of extravagant worship, more extravagant than probably any of us could ever imagine. What she was saying in taking this perfume and dumping it on Jesus' head was this. I'm giving you my everything. This is my everything. I'm leaving my past behind by pouring this on your head. I'm giving you my future by pouring this on your head. She's saying she's leaving it all behind and she's trusting in Jesus to now provide for her and her family as she takes $53,000 and dumps it on Jesus' head. She's saying, Jesus, you've loved me so much that I can trust you with everything. It's broken and it's poured. That's the first event. Now the second one is right after the first one, and it's in the same book in Mark, and it's a little bit further up. It's in Mark uh, 22, starting in verse 22. And this is the, the story uh, of the Last Supper where Jesus gets together with his disciples to go through the Last Supper. And they don't know what's coming. They don't know that Jesus is about to go to the cross and die, but he has this last meal with them. And here's what happens. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. 
Jesus told them that the bread they were eating and the wine they were drinking were his body and blood. And what did Jesus say about his body and his blood? He said his body was broken and his blood was poured. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? The jar was broken and the perfume was poured. It was poured out as an act of worship, and now the body is broken and the blood is poured. And the book of Luke reports on these same events, but he adds a detail that Mark did not point out, and this is Luke 22, 19. You don't need to turn there, but it's just the same event with a little bit more detail. It says this, and he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So what's the difference? He added the line, do this in remembrance of me. So what does that mean? Well, most of us who've read this, most people who study this, uh, they look at this and they say, oh yeah, Jesus is talking about communion. He's talking about the Lord's Supper, that thing that we celebrated last week where we, where we, we, we take the, the bread and we take the juice. I mean, I don't know if you can call that little white disc that's more like paper than bread, actual bread, but we take that and we, and so most people are like, oh yeah, Jesus is talking here about communion and us remembering to celebrate communion, celebrating his death and resurrection. And there's not much disagreement on this view. However, could it possibly also mean that Jesus was saying that because he was broken and he was poured out, we should be as well? That maybe Jesus was calling us not just to have this ritual as a part of our church and our church services, but it should be something that we live in our lives each and every single day. See, Jesus has called, God has called people who follow Jesus to live like Jesus lived, to live a life that was broken and poured out. Not only do we see this with Jesus, but we see it in a life of a guy named Paul in the New Testament. And when you get to a book of 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to a young pastor named Timothy, and, and he tells the Timothy, look, my life is being poured out as an offering. And so it's not just something For Jesus, not just something for this woman. God is calling us to pray the dangerous prayer of God, break me and pour me out. You have to understand what it means to be broken and poured out. Because I think a lot of us, that just doesn't even make sense. It's like, well, how can I be broken? How can I be poured out? Well, here's the deal. Let me tell you the story of a woman named Corey Ten Boom. Some of you may have heard of her. A book was written about her. A movie was made of her life um, called The Hiding Place. And uh, here's her story. She was was living in in Europe at the start of World War II. And after the Nazis invaded her home country, um, her and her family started to hide Jews. They started smuggling Jews through the Underground Railroad to get them out of Europe. Her family was deeply committed followers of Jesus, and they believed that God wanted them to protect his people and smuggle them out of Europe. And so she started to do this. Well, in February of 1944, somebody turned her and her family into the Gestapo. They were arrested, and she was put in a concentration camp. Her family was put in different concentration camps. Her and her sister Betsy were sent to Ravensbrück in northern Germany, one of the most infamous for political prisoners. There was 45,000 women that were kept at this facility. And uh, she got there. And it was a brutally hard life. Forced labor, 
next to no food, next to no water, next to no heat, next to no clothes, just working, slaving, busting their bodies each and every single day for the Nazis. She lived this brutal, hard life, and she actually got to sit there and watch as her sister Betsy died in her arms. As the Russians and the Allied forces were approaching Germany, in January of 1945, the order was put out to execute everybody at the camp. They started executing everybody at the camp. Her, she was released from the camp on a clerical error a week before everyone in her age group was executed. Here's the important part of the story. She was responsible for 800 Jews not having to go to the gas chamber. They saw thousands of salvations inside the concentration camp. And then after the war had ended, she saw hundreds of thousands of people come to Jesus because of her story of what God did in and through her in the concentration camps. But she wouldn't have experienced any of that if she had not been broken and poured out through the experiences and the things in life that she went through. And we've forgotten this truth here in America, about what the gospel actually means and what following Jesus really means. Because see, if you page through the books of the Bible, you will see that person after person who followed God, each and every single one of them, it wasn't like they lived this great life in a beautiful house and everything went amazing their whole lives. It was usually years of pain, of hurt, of trouble, of problems, of all kinds of crazy stuff as God broke them and poured them out before they saw the amazing, the miraculous, and the powerful in their life. That story can be told of Adam, that sto- I mean Abraham, that story can be told of, uh, of Jacob, that story can be told of Joseph and David, and you could continue to go down through the line up into the New Testament. Every single person who followed God wholly, compassionately, and with everything that they had and prayed this prayer, God break me, was broken. But God used them in ways that we can never really wrap our brains around, and I know people sit there and they say, man, how can I get God to use me in a powerful way? Allow God to break you and pour you out. Joe, if you want to come back up, and I know there's people in here listening right now, and you're saying to yourself, I don't want to be broken. I don't want to pray that prayer, and that's okay. You don't have to pray this prayer to be a follower of Jesus. But there are some of you, though, you could probably preach this message better than me because of the things that you're going through or have gone through. And there's also some of you in here right now who are about to come up on the edge of some circumstances and situations in life that are going to be 
a breaking point and you're going to be tempted to fight and to stay away and not allow God to break you. Can I say this morning, don't resist it, give in, fall on the rock and let him break you and pour you out. And all of us are going to get to this moment in our lives All of us are going to find ourselves in a situation where we're going to say, you know what, God, what am I going to do? And we have two choices. We can either run to it or run from it. And we have to make the decision which way we're going to go. Are we going to stop and are we going to say, God, you know what, break me and pour me out or or are we going to go the other way? Now, I want you to understand this. This isn't advanced Christianity here. This isn't for uh, the monks and the priests and the missionaries and the, the women who only wear skirts and keep their hair up in a bun. This is basic Christianity. This is break my body, break my sin, break me of everything so that I can serve you, Jesus, with all my life. I completely surrender to you. The gospel is an invitation to come and die. That's what the gospel is an invitation to. And sometimes we get that a little bit screwed up. And we think that gospel is an invitation to a better life. It's an invitation to come and die. So the question is, are you willing to be like the woman who walked up to Jesus broke the jar and poured it out on Jesus' head. Are you willing to be broken and poured out? Because if you're saying to yourself, God, use me powerfully, the only way God can use you powerfully is if you're broken and poured out. That's what it takes to become a fully devoted followers of Jesus. But many of us were just like, you know, I just would rather be a partially devoted follower of Jesus so that I can maintain my comfort and my convenience. If you want more, just come to Jesus. Tell him to break you and pour you out.